JB Knowledge Podcast Network. On episode 38 of the Insured Tech Geek Podcast, talking about movement intelligence with Nanwei Gong from Figure 8. Insure Tech Geek Podcast, powered by JB Knowledge, is all about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. We'll be interviewing guests and doing deep dives into specific technologies we see changing the industry. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech, so enjoy the ride and geek out. can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, as we record this today, it is Friday, October 23rd. We are within two months of the nuttiest year of my 41 years on this planet uh, being over. Uh, that's right. 2020 is only two months from being over. And I think I'm not the only person who is moderately excited about that. You know what I mean? I think... Oh yeah, studio audience is really excited too. They're like, "Yeah, we're ready for we're ready for 2020 to be absolutely and completely over." I don't know, uh, Rob Galbraith, uh, most interesting man in insurance. What's going on, dude? Not a whole lot. Yeah, definitely counting down the aids to the 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 end to 2020. I don't know if I told you and the listeners before, but my wife convinced me this year to put up a political sign with the election coming up, <laughs> uh, so we don't have. Either the you know the the presidential candidates or or the senatorial candidates here in Texas, whatever it actually says, giant meteor twenty twenty <laughs> just ended already. <laughs> because the giant meteor would win, right? I mean, it's going to come. It's 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 going to it's going to win. It's going to be it's going to be a landslide. <laughs> Literally, it'd be a, it'd be a landslide. Yeah, you, you set me up good for that one. I'm a sucker for dad jokes, Rob, and you you seem to be a source for dad jokes, and I'll, I'll accept that. Yeah, unfortunately. Mm. Yeah, guilty as charged. Mm. You know, and, and, and I do a couple podcasts. I had another guest from Boston today. So on the, the, the wicked awesome Friday of podcasting, <laughs> I've got with us another Bostonian, another wicked smart person who... And just to give you an idea of how smart, master and PhD from MIT Media Lab. If you don't, uh, if you don't know about Media Lab, then then get informed quickly because uh, it produces some absolutely amazing product and people and ideas. Uh, Nanway Gong, Nanway, so nice to have you on the show. Thank you for having me. Yes, and we're gonna we're gonna have all kinds of good conversations with you in a minute. We're gonna talk all about you. Before we do, a reminder out there: uh, if you're streaming this on video, and we're streaming this video on uh, Twitter and Facebook and posting it on Vimeo. We put it on LinkedIn. If you're one of those that's watching it on video, you can subscribe by texting geek out, geek out, G-E-E-K-O-U-T to 66866. Make sure you never miss an episode because we'll email you. We'll let you know about the episode. We'll get to show notes and link to the articles. And we do a transcription and all kinds of fun things that help you uh, get through this awesome content that we put together now Oh, this is really, really fun. 38 episodes of this. And we've just really gotten to talk with some amazing people. And this week is absolutely no exception. Nanwei Gong from Figure 8. That is F-I-G-U-R. And the number 8 website is figure8tech.com. That's F-I-G-U-R, number 8, T-E-C-H.com. Before we jump in and talk about 
this company that you are the CEO and co-founder of, I want to talk about you for a second. You have an interesting background, and I think it's always worth talking about the people behind the ideas, mm-hmm. right? Because you can talk about companies and ideas all you want, but at the end of the day, there's there are people behind all this, right? And you are one. <laughs> I mean, there are people, and you're one of the and you're one of those people. So, just tell me. I, I believe you said you're from Taiwan, and you mm-hmm. did your undergrad there. Growing up as a kiddo in Taiwan. What did you think you wanted to do and what led you into to material science and engineering? Uh, honestly, always I thought I would go on Broadway and become a performer. Nice. Okay. What's your favorite <laughs> like, yeah. favorite Broadway musical? Rent. Rent. Oh, 525,600 <laughs> minutes, right? Exactly. Why do you think I have all the audio equipment at home? <laughs> Where is... Where are the TikTok videos? Oh, wait, hold on. Do you, do, are, are there videos online of you singing Broadway? <sighs> Maybe. Yes, there are. There oh, are. wow. <laughs> there are. Nugget. So, breadcrumbs for the audience. Yeah. So if you're a Facebook friend with me, I, I've, I've started posting some of my guitar and singing videos just because I, I finally was ready to share share my music with the world. Exactly. Yeah, that's uh, a big step. To share your own music. It's like that the first time I pitched to a VC to fund the company, I felt like a true performer. Yeah. True performer. It's like, wow, I'm going to. Yeah. yeah. It's like, I do the performance. I'll be honest. Like I've been playing piano since I was eight. Uh, I've been singing since I was eight. I just started the guitar this year, but it's kind of personal. Like I like to sing for myself. I like to play my own songs. I go camping every month with a group of dads and kids and Mm -hmm. They insisted this mother bringing the guitar, and we, and I got to play there, and that was a really nice small setting. But you know, putting on the internet's kind of raw. Like it's like, oh my mm-hmm. gosh, there's like a lot of people that are doing this. So Rent's a great musical. You know, the Rent of today is Alexander Hamilton, right? I mean, everybody. Yep. So my 13 year old is completely obsessed with Hamilton. I took her to her first performance of it in Chicago last year and loved it. So it's always good to hear the the passions people have. So you're super into Broadway. You wanted to be on Broadway. What crushed your Broadway dreams and pushed you into material uh, science and engineering? Uh, well, I think you know if you'll make it or not when you're about 14 years old, right? Yes. <laughs> so that happened. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, wait, maybe I'm not supposed to be the lead on Broadway. It's like, I am really good at math. <laughs> 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 and you're like, you're like, I, I need to go yeah. into math. Okay, so you yeah. co- you go in and you're you're studying at at National Tsinghua University, yeah. and you're mm-hmm. studying engineering, and you you jump straight from there to MIT. Just mm-hmm. help me understand that. Like you're you're in Taiwan. Obviously, MIT is one of the leading institutions in the world. I I know that's how you knew about it, but what was the jump there? What was that like? Well, really scary. Yeah. Uh, because when I applied for school, I didn't know I'd get in. You know, you don't know you would get in or not. Yeah. And I, I applied because we were de- designing sensors, like materials. You can you can have material that's sensors. I was interning in the physics lab, and there were building detectors for dark matters in the higher energy physics lab. And I'm like, all right, we build sensors, we build detectors. How do I combine that with my personal passion? That's music. So that maybe if I can't be on Broadway, I can be tech off Broadway to produce music. 
So there's this program called the Media Lab, and sort of like they can design sensors and they music instruments, but but music controllers, analog synthesizers. I'm like, all right, I want to do that. So I really literally changed my field and do that and and really focus on more on the electrical engineering side sense. Yeah, I mean, and for those of you who aren't familiar with MIT Media Lab, again, you could run through a list of all the different tech that has been commercialized out of MIT Media Lab. Q sensors, clocky. Guitar Hero. Yeah, Guitar Hero, Clocky, Thing Magic, Mercury RFID readers, Tangible IP Network Designer, Symphony Painter, which is developed by Fisher Price for the Pixture Color System. I mean, Hyperscore, IBM Web Fountain, Karaoke on Demand, on Demand Machine, Source Map, Audio Spotlight, Photo Mosaics. I mean, it just it does it. Memory Prosthetics. There's no, there's there's another one. Uh, that mm-hmm. was by a spinoff recall computer clubhouse network by Intel open mind common sense. I mean, it just keeps going on and on and on and on the uh, Lego Mindstorms. <laughs> if you, if you didn't know about that one, number yeah. two is guitar hero. Number one, Amazon Kindle, Sony e-reader, Barnes and Noble nook. They all use electronic ink that was developed at the media lab. The scratch programming language that I taught my kids when they were younger. Uh, that's, in, that's in my MIT Media Lab too. The Exo laptop that was part of OLPC one laptop per child. So pretty impressive program. You did two degrees there. What was your PhD study in? So it's about how do you design printable sensors, printable electronics. So you can print with a just an inkjet printer yeah. and uh, use ink to create circuitries and sensors. And it requires a specific type of ink to be used. Yeah, that can special con- ink. Yeah, the, the but ink, just normal printers. Yeah, the ink conducts. Yeah, normal printer, special ink. The ink conducts electricity, so it, it, ha, it has a capacitive function and serves as a as a circuit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so, does it work? And what major tech are we using right now that uses printable sensors? I mean, a lot comes from flexible circuits, and uh, you will see, for example, the foldable phones that you see. Yeah, that really is flexible circuitry. And the idea is how do you, there's a lot of disposable things like they have security tabs. That's it. Like with RFID tabs and circuitry, when you open something and they know it's been opened, there's a lot of different applications, but mostly is how do you create very, very low cost, large volume circuitries as opposed to making a printer circuit board. And that's, that's one thing, you know high volume packaging materials inside the credit card they are printed just yeah. a lot of different applications yeah so we have we have some obvious applications inside of insurance but we're going to we're going to talk in fact rob has a really great question to kind of the origin story so rob why don't you uh, take that away yeah so it's great to have you on on way and and why don't you just tell us a little bit about you know from the time you got your phd i know you had a couple other startups and successful exits, and then you started figure eight. So uh, maybe you can just kind of walk us through your your work history. And then particularly now with figure eight, you know, what do you do? What's your purpose? And what <laughs> brings you to the insurance industry? So yeah, we sure, know sure. all these okay. wonderful things about you, but like not necessarily obvious for the insurance space. So yeah, uh-huh. just give us a, yeah, sure. your, your work uh, life following your well, well, um, it's all about sensing. How do you create new sensor technology to for different applications, right? It starts from really technical ones. Like my first startup experience is called 3 Dem Tech. I we we started as students. We won the MIT 100K competition, which is an entrepreneurial competition from the university. That was a big push for me to you know want to start my own business and pushing it technology. 
to the market. That's the whole exercise. We are 3D gestural sensing um, technology, and eventually it was acquired by uh, Google. And after they acquired Nest, it's just a technology that you can see where the fingertips are. And then I started thinking about, you know, what, what do I do? What do I want to do with my life? And so I started a consulting group where we help big companies taking their research project into production. So if you, if this is Google, Microsoft, Microsoft, if there is a research idea that's been done once as a prototype, how do you design it with what technology and how do you um, really scale up? So I did that for three, four years. And then I really want to start a company to solve my personal problem, which is on top of the music playing, <laughs> I also run a lot. I'm an, a college athlete. The bar where I was from, I'm from a lot lower than the college athletes here. <laughs> so I used to run a lot. I have back pain and you always go to a doctor and everyone tells you a little bit different in, like information. And for me, coming from a group that's, we're really the pioneer of wearable sensors. Like my group at MIT started doing this from the 90s. And uh, we work a lot with sports science doctors, especially the Red Sox, Massachusetts General Hospital, and uh, seeing what are the latest technology that they can use for Tom Brady, for example, and then compare with the treatment from that, that Nanway would get. <laughs> Tom Brady gets these fancy biomechanics sports science lab analysis to understand why he has minor shoulder pain, for example. But for us, we get hands-on and, and, and visual assessment. And, and, and like if you really want to put things into perspective, the way injuries, musculoskeletal injuries are being measured today with hands-on and visual assessment is basically the same as using your hand to measure the temperature of a patient, like pre-thermometer. <laughs> do you have a fever or do I have cold hands? Unclear. So that really hit me. We do have the technology that normally costs hundreds of thousands of dollars to set up in a lab. It's really they commonly used in Hollywood for making 3D movies, but it, you can't get the same accuracy with anything just off the shelf. I can develop it. I know how to do it. And uh, I I know who needs it. It starts from elite athletes, you know, uh, but the performance optimization or the return to sport analysis. They want to know if you should go back in the field or not, because the money is in the field. <laughs> the money's not on the bench. So I see demands there. And we started the company and um, it really quickly, we realized that, wow, to really scale up, we need to find different injury categories that can really reach the masses and have adoption, like in the large scale. So the way we are looking at it and say, okay, who has the most to lose in these type of injury management? Um, apparently, an insurance company has the most to lose in injury management. MSK is such a big category. It's $1 trillion spent every year. 50% of us has the some kind of condition. So we started a company, build the full biomechanics mapping with our sensors, 
And now we're ready to just build applications on top of different types of injuries to help, you know, not only doctors, but also insurers to understand how to manage these injury claims. This is amazingly fascinating, kind of the, the journey, but it actually makes a lot of sense of kind of yeah, how you, I can how you build it. that kind of intersection. Uh-huh. Yeah, so, because like the, uh, the, the, the thinking process is like this. If you are a doctor, the way you think about the solution would be really different from an engineer. And I really think like my co-founder and the initial team members are all engineering background. And so we think about it as how do we see it from a data perspective? How do you generalize an injury with different, you know, biomarkers? That's not how a physician would be trained. So we we design a new medical device for them and it's useful for them, but it can't be created by a doctor. Yeah, James, I know you want to geek out a little bit and understand the tech more. <laughs> yeah, sure, absolutely. No, I it's I love your analogy of this is like putting your hand to the to someone's forehead because I I still feel like I mean modern medicine is just not so modern sometimes, right? Like mm-hmm. like we had this big round of advancement, we had decades of run up, it got really good, and then I feel like we just plateaued in many areas, and in particular now that you can you have wearable, flexible, printable sensors. Right. Isn't that the isn't that I mean, you have you have this confluence of technology that and certainly 5G networks are helpful, too, because it, it, it makes it a little easier theoretically to get data off those sensors anywhere the, the, the wearer has them. Right. So you have this. Con- yeah. So you have this confluence of technologies that are coming together and it allows us to stop doing so much guessing because, you know, the entire insurance industry is a guessing game. And and, and I, I think that we don't have to do so much guessing anymore. Is that is that the premise? I mean, because you have a lot of different applications that your company mm-hmm. can chase down. I mean, you you can go after anything. You can you could just go after sports and that and 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 never come out of that rabbit hole, right? You could just mm-hmm. do sports and athletics, yes. but it's obviously not and that's not enough, right? I mean, we have to tackle it. And there's really two big areas that that we were talking about before the show of work comp and auto. Help me understand your view on how this technology really radically transforms the guessing game that we're in in uh, work comp and auto and other other insurance segments? Mm-hmm. So I would say that right now, a lot of the mild and, and also I think mild MSK injury is such a big category for these PNC insurers because it's impossible to measure. I want to take whiplash as an example. Whiplash, there are Four different categories normally. That's the standard. And mild whiplash is category uh, level one and level two. What what does it really mean? It it has it has a guide. Like, there's a set of guidelines, but the same patient. If you see two doctors, there, there are studies about this. Like you know, everyone will tell you a little bit different on the levels. So level one and level two essentially is lumped together as mild whiplash. But the per diem payment can be different, and uh, the the per diem payment times the time for you to close the claim it is thousands, tens of thousands of dollars. And with some of the customers, so we started interview them. What I didn't know initially when we started is how much, how what's the percentage of of the claims are mild, and when we look at the data, it's ninety five percent of the whiplash claims are mild. And at, on average, like three, four thousand dollars 
to to pay for those claims in the per diem payment. And uh, then uh, the second question I asked is, tell me, medically speaking, how many days, if we take an MRI every week, how many days do you think for whiplash for to recover? And how many days are you seeing on your claim data? Right. So you're seeing that the doctor says should take less than 20 days. Uh, we interview so many different doctors. Everyone agrees less than 20 days. But when we look at the claim data, it can go up to 90 days. Yep. And it's on average, every, it's almost like the patients or the lawyers Googled it and they all decided that three months is the mark when everything just magically heals. So that's the discrepancy. And that's like the, the, the billions of dollars that insurers are losing. And our tool allows the insurer, the provider and the patient really have more like, you know, transparency of information on the on the recovery because there are only two scenarios if you're not recovering. One is uh, you healed. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah. You have recovered from your injury. The second reason for your data to have no change is that, well, maybe you're not being treated properly. So that's changed the treatment plan. But then if after another two weeks, it's not it's not making any progress, then it could be a pre-existing condition. Then they would just close the claim and give you a lump sum payment and said, here is how we're going to close the claim. Very, I'm sorry this happened to you. Can we just close the thing right here? There's no change in the data. Right now, there's no such information to give insurer these type of input. So everyone is magically healing at three months mark when it could be between 20 days to 45 days. Um, so that's the only problem that, uh, well, that's the first problem that we see we can solve immediately by showing accurate MSK injury data and show trend. Once we get a lot of information, then it's another, another like really gold mine is can we decide the level of injury in more, you know, granularity? Because right now it's level one and level two. Like if there are 10 levels in between, then the insurance could like the insurance adjudication can be a lot more sophisticated. And right now, just a bucket here, a bucket there. And eventually we will be able to decide if you actually have the injury or not. Yeah. Most likely not. I mean, but you could something that I found that's frustrating for 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 some in the in the sensor space is that we can measure a lot of things that don't really help us determine outcomes, right? Like, mm -hmm. and then even if you're measuring it and you think it determines an outcome, you have to always, something I, I say a lot in my speeches, like correlation versus causality. Like don't, mm -hmm. as, don't assume correlation equals causality. So like you could, mm -hmm. you could correlate that this movement, I tell you, but you don't really know, you, you, you have to really analyze it. So, I mean, you are a hardware person, I, I come mm -hmm. from the software world. You come from the hardware world. But this requires a lot of software to be written to actually mm -hmm. perform the analysis and really determine causality, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what what has that journey been like to really understanding causality? Help me understand, like a little, give me a little geekier description of how this is working. Yeah, absolutely. You, you, okay. you're, yeah, how, so, how, how are you measuring okay. like the movement? Are you measuring force, speed, and angle? So we are measuring... So first we build a wearable sensor system. And the way we create a system is very similar to how kinesiology works. Uh, if you've seen kinesio tape for athletes, 
like when they yes. will give you a handbook in different segments of the body. This, this is how you attach it to your body. So our sensors is come. Uh, it I, I have it right here. Oh yay! Show and tell. If you're on video, if you're not, if you're not on video, you can watch this video. <laughs> Show and tell. Let's see it. It's like this. It's it's kind of like a, the kinesio tape. You can put it on different segment of your body. But what it does is there are two components. It's a sensor fusion solution. The one single ones. It tells how you move in 3D. Yep. It has a nine-axis IMU. And we have another one that combines the muscle activity with 3D movement, which allows us to calculate the joint angle when, when you have a network, but also how your soft tissue is moving. The problem with MSK injury is that you can't really see it with a camera easily because the injury most likely happens on soft tissues. Yep. That's um, your muscle fatigue, that's your muscle weakness, muscle um, atrophy, your muscle twitch reflexes. So what we did is we created a human biomechanical model, compare joint by joint, muscle by muscle group with the standard tool that people use in the fancy lab. And uh, now it's, a, it's an application that allows us to collect all of the biomarkers for an injury. So I'll give you an, an example. I started a journey understanding orthopedics doctors and how they evaluate injuries with an ACL injury. I don't know if you guys are familiar with an ACL injury, but when your knee, some, you hear the pop. And uh, what happens is you go to your doctor and the, be, if they don't have the lab or an MRI, what they do is they will, they will lift your knee, push it in. And if you feel an end point, that means your, your ligament's still there. But if there's no end point, that means, well, it's not there anymore. So that's level two. So if it's unstable and there is end point, it's level one. If it's very stable, it's zero. So that's that's what you can tell from the hands-on assessment and the scoring system. That's zero, one, two. But if you are in a biomechanics lab, what they do know is if you do have an injury, ACL tear, when you... When you move in a deep squat, when your knee angle is about 30 degrees, the frontal knee angle, because the way our hips are constructed, right? The hip is not a straight joint. The hip is kind of like this, like it, it's a Angled. triangle. Yep. That it's complex. When you squat, when you push your body, lower your body, your knee will uh, like really just move left and right. It's called the frontal angle movement. You can't really see with your eyes, but you can see it very clearly with the high speed camera with high angle angle accuracy. So that's a biomarker. The biomarker for ACL tear is how much frontal plane movement during a dynamic movement like a deep squat and that can tell you exactly how what's the risk of injury or what's the level of injury. So that, that's one example. So for whiplash, for example, we can tell if you do have these type of muscle damage, we compare the good side with the bad side and know what is the level of injury. And the most important part is we ask you to do the same movement in 3D and we can identify in three dimension when the pain occurs and correlate that movement with your muscle activities and you can track that movement longitudinally and and that's how a doctor would use their eyes and experience to quantify and say yeah right there 
see your your range of motion regained and uh, you know your muscle is less swollen today we're using words and it's words to describe a condition but uh, with our sensor system and our our analytics platform we can show trend and show very very accurate results that normally you can't see with your eyes yep. and the last thing that's very cool that we noticed is that we can quantify reflex muscle reflex and that's something that's a physiological response to a reflex hammer that you can't even fake yeah I- I had some pretty bad injuries in the last few years. I, I did a partial tear on both Achilles, I fractured my uh, spine, I fractured my tailbone off. That was a fun one. And I've had to do, uh, yeah, yeah, I, I have four. I, I say I'm not spineless, but I'm less spine because I literally have, <laughs> I, I literally had four vertebrae removed and the fifth one was shaved into a makeshift tailbone. And, and I've spent a lot, I spent a lot of time in physical therapists. And uh, I say this to say, it's such a soft science, uh, you know, uh, pun intended, because it's all you know, there's so much soft tissue there. Tissue. Th- yeah, there's so much soft tissue analysis, and, and you know, mm-hmm. I, I've had a lot of ultrasounds because ultrasounds really help you understand soft tissue injuries, mm-hmm. both ankles, both knees, tailbone, you know, multiple times, and there's so much non-use of data. It's so subjective that you know, what mm-hmm. you're what you're talking about is fundamentally overhauling assessment and treatment of all soft tissue and MSK injuries. I mean, this is radical for the medical community. I mean, you're having to go to the AMA, you're having to go to all the ortho boards. I mean, there's a big uphill battle in this, right? Well, so I, there is there are many CPT codes, existing ones, that allows us to use to, to run evaluation with the tool. It's just people don't use it very often because there aren't a lot of tools that's out there. And in the COVID world, there are all these remote patient monitoring codes that you, you like the clinician can use, help you set it up at home through telemedicine. And that that is a trend 100%. So that's in the healthcare world that we see a lot of opportunity. Now, in the insurance, non, non-health insurance world in, in, you know, PNC, it's a measurement tool. So we can even not link that to a medical condition and say, look, we want to have a pre-employment assessment or return to work evaluation that has nothing to do with your medical condition, but rather this is the job description. And, and then we see that as a really, really interesting opportunity because test takes less than 10 minutes from start to finish and you get the score and you have you can highlight all the areas that has potential injury risks yeah and that's just like a fitness for duty it's a test wow yeah i mean it you make it sound so easy when you say that <laughs> i did <laughs> i uh, i just wonder about adoption uh, uh rob please take it away yeah, I'm with you, James. So, you know, fortunately, um, Tanwai and I have met a, a couple of times and she's kind of told me about the figure eight, you know, the technology, how it works, the potential applications. And it is one of those, you know, that's a bit mind bending, right? When you're trying to think about it. So I know, Nanwai, you've talked about, you know, that evaluation of the knee. And for any of us that are sports fans, right, particularly we're in the middle of football season. I know my Michigan State's 
Barton's play for the first time this weekend. About time. Magazine have been doing pretty pretty <laughs> well, James and stuff. But right, we hear about this like this athlete blew out their knee or whatever, and that could be like a winning season or a losing season. To your point earlier, non-way, like there's so mm-hmm. much money involved, particularly on pro sports, of course, right? And and so for you to be able to actually evaluate a knee ahead of time and kind of see that knee is about to go, about to go, not gone, mm-hmm. right? But even kind of proactive, and you can measure that. And then you think about physical therapy, and and you talk about you know, the impact of physical therapy and is it working or is it not? And are you back at your full range of motion? So you don't necessarily need physical therapy for eight weeks. If after the first four weeks you see, you know, there hasn't been an improvement for the last two weeks or, or you're at your full range of, of motion already. So it's cool that there's this kind of sports science part of it, that there's just a wide range. You talked about whiplash, you talked about workers' comp, obviously health insurance. I know I personally was you know, many years ago, my wife, actually my, my ex-wife now, my first wife, and I were involved in a, a very low-speed collision with a car. As a, a, we were in our 20s at the time, and we hit a, a couple that I thought at the time were older, mid 40s. That's where I'm at now. And uh, it was minor fender battery, right? It was one of those you take pictures, and you know, no, no big deal, just no scrapes, and we didn't call, you know, police out or anything like that. Well, then later on, they claimed that they sustained head and neck injuries, whiplash, mm-hmm. and we were just stunned we were disbelieving because it was such a low speed impact it was basically coming up on a spot a mm-hmm. stop sign and, and just touching it you know if you, we had taken photos this is pre again smartphones I'm, I'm dating myself a little bit so you know i think today you just take a quick picture right mm-hmm. of the, the the damage to the cars but so we were trying to describe you know what happened to the insurance adjusters and whatnot and ultimately a large earns company settled for seven thousand dollars now that didn't mm-hmm. it was like hey it's worth it to have the nuisance to go away and, and that claim mm-hmm. was open for almost two years kind of going back oh my and forth. god so have a device like this right to be able to measure and quantify whether they truly had or not i know we we felt you know very taken advantage of. we were mad we worked at it we both worked at our auto insurer at the time so like <laughs> it was personal for us right it wasn't just the cost so none way so talking about driving adoption right mm-hmm. obviously from a medical communicating educating doctors and and you know physical ther- therapy labs and and others but i think correct me if i'm wrong you know you've said in the past one of the ways that the insurance industry can drive adoption is by you know, requiring these tests or requesting these tests right they mm-hmm. use your device to be able to mm-hmm. quantify these things and to say i need the measurement from the figure eight device so that I know what the range of motion is. I don't need your subjective, like I'm, mm-hmm. this is actually a requirement of my claims process that you, you mm-hmm. must fill out in order to get approval, right, for a surgery or additional physical therapy or whatnot. So maybe you can talk a little bit more about how you're seeing and hope to see the insurance industry drive adoption in the medical mm-hmm. community of your yeah, technology. Yeah. No, no, we're already live in three hospitals working with insurance companies. So that they are now is a mass test. We are starting with a few hospitals. We are submitting the claims with these data. And uh, the goal is, look, if we have 1,000 cases and we can see that we can reduce the per diem time by what they think they could reduce, which is 41.2% of the claim payment, that's not pocket change. So that's where we are. We are in the phase of we're in life in a few hospitals and uh, specifically collecting data on mild whiplash patients. And uh, once we finished a large patient study and proved like, well, 41.9% of the time per diem payment can be saved. I don't, I doubt if that 
that would be a problem for us to drive adoption for other insurance companies. And what's so interesting about auto insurance is that since normally there are multiple parties involved with different insurance companies, there is no reason for an insurance company to want to want this to become a secret secret exclusive offering because you actually want everyone to have it. The way for everyone to save money is to agree that this is an industrial standard. And if I submit my claim this way, please, your company should submit your claims this way because it's a win-win situation. Like you can't, you could, if it's a disability insurance and said, okay, I can reduce your your claim, your premium, if you have low-risk workers, then I am a more competitive disability or workers' comp insurance company because I'm cheaper. But for auto, it's different because the liability is not necessarily coming from your customer. Yeah, and I think the that pre-employment check from a work comp perspective is really fascinating as well. We certainly... Mm-hmm. Use- you mentioned pre-existing conditions earlier. So if a worker already does not have full range of motion due to, to you know prior injuries or whatnot, right? If we hire James today, right? And we know mm-hmm. that he's missing four vertebrae or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, towards, you know, partially Less towards fine. Achilles, Less fine. Then, yes. <laughs> yeah. So I, we would want to know that, right? As we hire him to say, hey, you know, this stuff already happened to him. So we're asking him to to lift 50 pounds and put boxes overhead or whatever, if he throws out his back and starts saying it's because of the job, right? Mm-hmm. And we'll know, we'll already have captured yep. baseline data, baseline range of motion. Yep. yep. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Well, this has been a really, really, really interesting conversation. I, I, I wish we could keep talking, but we do have to just go to our news and, and wrap up. But fascinating technology. I'm excited about like, as someone who's had to endure a lot of a lot of exams and a, and a, a lot of measurement of accidents and I've had whiplash as well when I was a kid and I had to deal with it took me months to recover from that it really was not a quick recovery you know I'm a fan of anything that can get the work, worker back to work uh, quickly and back to full function and use of their body and uh, and so we can stop using subjective phrases to measure objective things right and that's mm-hmm. uh, I think that's really where you drive this home and I, I, I love the idea. I, I love, uh, love where your brain's at. So I'm excited to hear more from you in the future. And thank you so much. If, Rob, I know you've got a couple of news stories. And before I, I, I uh, talk about mine, I'd love to hear about yours. Yeah. So I've got a couple for you guys this week. So probably the biggest news story that came out this week is uh, Root is eyeing an IPO on the NASDAQ. And so this article was from Reuters saying, they're eyeing a $6.3 billion, billion. valuation. So definitely, yeah, hmm. b- billions. Yeah. Billions. So you can do the Austin Powers, right? Dealing with a B. Yeah, so that's right. Billions with a B. So, you know, hats off to them. They're, they're planning to list on NASDAQ. And uh, yeah, I, I mean, the, the IPO parade continues. Obviously, start with Lemonade over the summer. And so the market remains red hot. And we've talked about this before, you know, from an tech perspective. I think we all want honesty, success of these companies, regardless of whether you plan to buy the stock or, or short the stock, but it's definitely healthy for the marketplace. So it's great to see. So congratulations to the team at Root. And then sometimes James and Nunway, these come across your desk, right? And they're just news of the weird or stupid criminals or however, whatever you want to classify. So this is former cyber fraud prevention firm CEO arrested for fraud. So Adam <laughs> Rogas was the head of 
former head of cyber fraud prevention company NS8, so not figure eight, but NS8, <laughs> uh, charged in Manhattan federal court with three kinds of fraud, uh, $123 million fundraising scam. <laughs> Again, a bit of a clickbait, I guess, this week in, a, in our news, but I uh, definitely encourage folks to, to check that out. And, you know, none way I wanted to kind of quickly on the fraud subject. So we've talked about, right, all the different applications, but I assume, you know, fraud prevention is actually one of the benefits of your technology because show mm-hmm. if somebody like James actually has whiplash or not like, mm-hmm. you know, instead of denying and denying and having to appeal or whatnot, right? So mm-hmm. being able to separate out who legitimately needs help versus, you know, which may be potentially fraudulent claims. Like if you just think about it, like the self-selection process before the data actually takes effect, like self-selection, it's like we have a test. Please don't lie. Back over to you, James. Awesome. So some more funding news in SureTech Bind. Again, this is from Business Insider six hours ago in SureTech Bind. Bind bagged $105 million to accelerate its expansion into employer-sponsored insurance. And so this is uh, another low-cost insure tech that's going after the market. Uh, They're using the money to expand their fully insured offering to over 30 states by the end of 2021. Again, they're, they're tackling health insurance. And this is an Health insurance is not an area I really like to cover because life and health is certainly not an area that I work in. I'm a PNC guy myself, but it is always interesting to see what's happening over there because it certainly impacts anybody who's over in comp, right? That's, I always look at that and go, okay, how does this impact comp? So that's a uh, an interesting funding. You can check that out. Bind says their business grew eightfold, 8x in the past year alone. Again, their goal is to rebuild health insurance, make it more intuitive and affordable. They have $0 deductibles, zero coinsurance, in-app tools to, to see what's covered in a doctor's visit before making an appointment. <gasps> Imagine that, transparency in medicine. Kind of like what you're going for, Nanway. Transparency in medicine. <laughs> yep, yep. Mm. Definitely that. Mm. Mm. So, man, that is like one of my chief uh, complaints in general about about the health. Like, it's the only industry mm-hmm. I work with as a vendor of mine where they can't tell me what it's going to cost beforehand. They don't know how long it's going to take. They don't really know their pricing, and it's kind of a crapshoot. A quick question, just to piggyback on that one. When we submit, when when there is an auto insurance claim about a whiplash, for example, yep. as a, a, a customer who had whiplash in the past, I also don't know, like I don't have transparency on how the insurance adjudication works. And uh, I think like for insurance company, for the, these casualty claims, I wonder if that is also a big problem from the customer's side to get more, like this is a level of injury, for example. And this is how the claim is being calculated. I just magically received a check at some point in life. Mm, mm. Not complaining, but <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Well, let's uh, let's go to the next uh, the next news story. InsureTech funding strong in 2020 despite COVID 19 disruptions. This is from uh, PropertyCasualty360.com, and of course they're they're talking about a, a list of different funding. Fund, funding, uh, and we've just talked about it, you know, some of the, the larger funding rounds that have been taking place in this past year. And also from uh, propertycasualty360.com, InsureTech is the prescription for safety in a post-pandemic world. And I love hearing about how this really does help the the broader industry and certainly uh, moves the needle on safety. Uh, of course, they talk about insurance being preventative instead of reactive. That is a, a common a phrase that we talk about in a lot of our interviews is getting preventative, not being reactive, you know, reimagining the world in a safer place. Uh, just go read the article. It's a, it, it really have a good take 
on how telematics and behavior-based insurance models are driving fairer policy and fairer pricing and safer driving. You're giving people a financial incentive to behave. Right now, you know, the most insurance models, there's really, you know, it's group rating and bulk rating and guesstimates, and there's really no financial incentive. It doesn't matter if you do better. So why would you? It's amazing. People behave as they're incentivized to behave. And, and uh, mm-hmm. when you when you incentivize them to behave better by uh, reducing rates and, and giving them premium reductions, it turns out they care. Wow. It was an interesting study. I remember I was looking at like the privatization of privatization of retirement plans, you know, because I'm, I'm actually a really big advocate of privatizing. So requiring that people contribute for their own retirement plan, but allowing them to choose from public funds. And the big argument is that people and the argument against that is commonly used that's not rooted in data at all is that people aren't ready or emotionally ready enough to do this. And so it actually was done in Chile, a whole country, they privatized their retirement plan. So they basically said, you're required to contribute. You have to pick between one of these, I can't remember how it was, seven funds. And so you had to pick one of these seven funds, but the seven funds are all vetted and pre-approved by the government. They're private market plans. So they're defined contribution, not defined benefit. It, it mandates retirement, but it lets you pick. Well, well, the entire population of Chile got so savvy at this that they had to start passing laws about how many times a year they could reallocate their funds because everyone started, <laughs> everyone started really caring about returns and they started really caring about the retirement oh. system. And so they started... In mass, you're talking about hundreds, I mean, well, tens of millions, not hundreds, tens of millions of people literally moving retirement funds in mass because they hear there's better returns and better values in, in other funds. And so, you know, the pundits, the, the naysayers were, were completely wrong. They were completely wrong. The population was ready to manage this. They were they were not incentivized before to learn about how to manage money. And then once they became incentivized, they got very savvy on it. And I think insurance is the same way. All these technologies, and your technology too, Nunway, you're giving, you're putting data in the hands of the people who actually can take the action. And at the end of the day, it turns out humans actually are capable of dealing with it. They're smart enough and they're good enough. And gosh darn it, people like them. And uh, I think they're ready for it. So it's it's exciting to see this uh, this take place. Go check out these these articles we talked about. And certainly, uh, oh oh, side note, we didn't record. I don't think we reported on this, Rob. But this was from October the eighth. Zebra reached a hundred million dollar run rate. I don't know if you saw that, but uh, they just announced it two weeks ago. Yeah, they just announced it two weeks ago that we're talking about we're talking about the stuff that really matters. Revenue. Zebra has has uh, released their financial metrics. And uh, they recorded uh, $37 million in revenue uh, for 2019 in that portion. They reached a $60 million run rate by their Series C. But like, like they just, a couple weeks ago, doubled in size, which means they're at a $100 million run rate. So Zebra is hot, hot, hot. Side note on that one. I look forward to hearing about your company achieving a $100 million run rate. Nunway. Same here. <laughs> <laughs> so Nunway, Nunway Gong, just, just for everybody out there who wants more information on her company, the website is figure eight, F-I-G-U-R eight tech, T-E-C-H dot com. Nunway, thank you for jump, coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. And as always, Rob Galbraith, thank you so much for being on the show. And congratulations on your silly, silly football conference, finally deciding to play some football. <laughs> I may come to regret that. I don't think we're going to have a good season, but uh, yeah, looking forward to that. And the basketball season is right around the corner. So that's what we pay attention to at State. (laughs) But at least now you'll know.
at least now you'll know if you should be playing I'll football. Know. Or not. I won't have to wonder. Yeah. I won't have to wonder it's if the, we would have won the Big Ten championship. I'll know that Ohio State crushed us. It's the wondering <laughs> that's the worst. Nonway, thank you again. Uh, Rob, thanks. Appreciate it. And to all of you out there in listener land, big thanks for listening to this episode of the InsureTech Geek Podcast powered by Jamie Knowledge. All about technology that's transforming and disrupting the insurance world. I've been your host, James Benham. That's jamesbenham.com. My co-host, Rob Galbraith, endofinsurance.com. Big thanks to Jim Greenlee, our podcast producer, Kara Dalton, our creative producer, and Adele Waldeck, our transcriptionist. And thank you for joining us. We're taking you on a journey through insurance tech. So enjoy the ride and geek out. See you next week.